It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Hey, isn't it looking a lot like Christmas around here? Yeah. Hey, good to have you here. Great to be together. Welcome Harrison Lane down in Amped and over in Blend and all the way over in Bearden. Give it up for Bearden. They're cheering right now as well as Roan County. We see out there. Glad to be together as one church today. Hey, Christmas songs. Don't you love them? Some of you, not so much. There's some that come on the radio. I'm like, if I could just get past that Mariah Carey song, I'd be so happy, right? <laughs> I mean, seriously. Some we love, some not so much. But it reminds us it's the most wonderful time of the year, right? Where kids jingle belling and everyone telling you, be of good cheer. It's the hap happiest season of all, right? Did I get the melody right there? All right, there you go. It's the happiest season of all. For us as believers, absolutely. Let's not poo-poo Christmas and the Christmas songs and all that go with it. Let's jump on the bandwagon and point to the real reason that we celebrate Christmas, which is Jesus. Amen? Hey, GPT chat, chat GPT gets it. Listen to what they say to, about Christmas songs. Artificial intelligence, check it out. These songs range from traditional carols, such as Silent Night, No Holy Night, evoking a sense of reverence and spiritual reflection to move more lively tunes like Jingle Bells and Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, capturing the cheerful celebratory spirit of Christmas. They often bring people together, fostering a sense of unity and shared experiences, whether through religious hymns or secular melodies, resonating with themes of love, giving, and the magical essence of the season. Christmas songs with their timeless melodies and lyrics become a soundtrack to the cherished traditions, spreading cheer and creating an atmosphere of joy and togetherness during this festive time of the year. It's a little scary and crazy that even computers understand the significance behind Christmas songs. They light us up. You should see your faces on the other side when you're just watching some of those carols and some of those songs. They just make you smile from the inside out. And so we're going to be looking at some songs some Christmas songs, you get it? Some songs, some psalms, different than you might have expected, but we're gonna be looking at some of the songs and the psalms right there in the middle of our Bible that, that point to the reality of the Messiah, that point to the Christmas that we celebrate. So many of these psalms are messianic in nature, and yet may not delineate exactly the person of Jesus, but we do know this, that the Psalms and the whole story of the Bible points to the reality that the narrative that we unpack oftentimes, and we're going to unpack it throughout the month, the narrative of the Christmas story, Mary, Joseph, Shep, all those things, are not just the story of the New Testament, not just the story of the Gospels, but the story that's laid out all throughout the Scriptures and nestled back here, back here in the middle of our Bibles. I invite you to turn with me to Psalm the book of Psalms, we're going to be in Psalm 1 and 2 today, is, is the story of Christmas. It's the message of the holidays, God's story, where God became a man, and he's going to return as a man one day. And Christmas songs, they have the ability to offer a glimpse of the hope that the Messiah brings. They offer and remind us of the hope that the Messiah brings. Ultimately, Christmas songs point to Jesus. Christmas psalms point to Jesus. I hope you'll get the connection as we move through week after week that songs are psalms, psalms are songs. And each week, we're gonna examine another Christmas psalm and, 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 and dive in deeper to the reality of what that psalm reveals to us about the Messiah, about the anointed one, about Jesus. Our first Christmas psalm, our first Christmas psalm we're going to jump into is right there in the beginning of Psalms itself, the Psalter, Psalm 1 and 2. And so Psalms 1 and 2 are actually linked together. They, they actually lay out a, 
a, a prototype of what the whole book, the whole book of Psalms and this collection of songs is all about. One and two were always intended to go together. One without two makes no sense. Two without one makes no sense. It's an introductory not only to the Psalms, but to the series we're looking at this weekend. To, to the gospel itself, they introduce and, re, and reveal to us the reality of what's taking place. The, the gospel is capsulated right here in the first two Psalms of the book. In chapter one, Psalm one, there's this tension that's built. There's this two ways of life. You can go the way of the righteous or the way of the wicked. Two ways of life are laid out. And then in Psalm two, the, the definition of, of the anointed one is the answer to the righteous life. The one who's blessed is gonna be the one who finds his refuge in Christ and Christ alone. And back here in the middle of our Bible, it describes the most wonderful life. It's, it's the most wonderful life. In fact, the big idea for the weekend is this. Christmas songs point to the most wonderful life with Jesus. The most wonderful life. That should, for some of us, that should all make us have some kind of warm fuzzies inside. It's a wonderful life, is it not? Good answer. I can't get through December for the last several decades without watching the movie It's a Wonderful Life. And when we first moved to Tennessee, I don't know if the Tennessee theater is still doing this, but they used to offer It's a Wonderful Life on Sunday afternoons, and now the line got so big and so packed. I don't know if they're still doing it, but, but even several years ago, it, the line got too long, but it's really fun to watch that movie with other people. You don't realize how funny it is until you hear hundreds, if not thousands of people laughing at the same things you're laughing at. And what I love about that movie is a whole lot. I love George Bailey. I love for the, the pursuit that he's looking for and finding the meaning for Christmas and tries to find the meaning of life and, and what's beyond all the hoopla of the holidays and there's a crisis that takes place. But, but it's a wonderful life. And every year I watch that movie. In fact, Saturday I sat down and I watched that movie. And by the end of the movie, every year without fail, not, I'm not embarrassed to admit this to you, I shed a tear. I mean, ugly tear, like, like, hope nobody walks in and sees me crying at an old movie. It's embarrassing. But at the end, it all comes together, right? Zuzu pedal, Zuzu pedal. And he runs back and he gets back into this place when all life is good. I shed a tear a few years ago when we invited the staff and their spouses over to our house to watch It's a Wonderful Life. Tara and I went to Costco that day. She said, how many people do you think are coming? I said, well, we invited the staff. We'll see their spouses. Well, I'm sure we'll have a big crowd, right? So we went to Costco and loaded up our island with all that Costco had to offer. And uh, all our friends came, Tim and Kara Bubar, Mark and Terry. Check it out. Costco. <laughs> people like me, apparently, right? And yet... That movie, It's a Wonderful Life, it points to the reality, that yearning within all of us, that there's got to be more. There, there's got to be more. There, there's this sense within each of us, and the holidays kind of emerge this, this reality in our lives, that there's got to be more. And folks, here's the reality. There is more. The same thing that we're looking for, the meaning of the holidays, the meaning of what life's all about, joy, happiness, peace on earth, all those things we put on Christmas cards, folks, is available to us. The wonderful life is not just an ideal. For us as believers, it's a reality. That The wonderful life is, is open and accessible to all of us who would choose to find refuge in Jesus. Christmas songs point to the most wonderful life, and that wonderful life is found with Christ. And since we don't have the lyrics anymore to the songs from Psalms, we don't have the melody, we have the lyrics, we don't have the melody anymore, let's read the lyrics together. Psalm 1. Psalm 1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, 
and on his law, he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that are, the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs and the Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I've set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree, the Lord said to me, you are my son, today I've begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord and fear with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all those who take refuge in him. Folks, right here, Psalm 1, Psalm 2, the gospel story, the Christmas story. Christmas songs point to the most wonderful life that we have with Jesus. And it's only in our relationship with Jesus do we have this happy, blessed life that's offered to us. The most wonderful life is lived out in a relationship with Jesus to all of us, to all of those who would find refuge in him. And in Psalm 1, here's a truth that emerges. The most wonderful life is revealed in God's loving instruction. The most wonderful life the most wonderful life that we all yearn for and long to have is revealed in God's loving instruction. The first word in Psalm 1 is blessed. Blessed is the man. Blessed is the man. Blessed means happy. Happy is the man. Wonderful life does the man have who, who actually is a, a man of the word. He says blessed is the, the one. He's experiencing the most wonderful life because he's walking with God. It's, it's the one who embraces Torah the one who embraces the word of God, who meditates on the word of God day and night, who thinks on and dwells on and remembers and ponders the reality of who God is from his word day and night. If you've been with us for a while, we've talked about Torah. What is Torah? Torah is the five books of the Bible. And when this was written, those were the, that was the Bible that they knew. That was the scriptures they knew. He said, blessed is the one who reflects on the Torah who reflects on the story of God, not just the rules and regulations. Sometimes we think about the law, reflecting on the law, we think about, okay, this rule, this rule, this rule, this rule. That, that's not what he's talking about. Yes, in the story of the first five books of the Bible, there's a story that's laid out there. In the story are guidelines, regulations, and rules. But the guidelines, regulations, and rules aren't the point of the story. The point of the story is that God wants a relationship with his people. Blessed is the man who meditates, who looks beyond, takes a little bit of discipline probably, to look beyond the rules and regulations to the one behind it. And you parents get this. You put guidelines, rules, and regulations because you're control freaks. Maybe a few of you. <laughs> but the rest of us, you put guidelines, rules, and regulations in place. Why? Because you want your kids to have a good life. You want things to be safe for them. You want them to actually be able to walk and become responsible adults one day. Isn't that our hope? that they'd be able to, to function without us one day, putting guidelines, rules, and regulations in their path. And yet, hopefully, they'll get to the place, and hopefully your kids have gotten there, where they look beyond, and they look back at all the angst they had under your rules and regulations, and finally see the person behind it. Finally see the character behind the rules and regulations, because there's been a story being played out. You are more committed to being 
and making them responsible adults than you were to being their best friend, right? That, that's, what, that's what he's getting after here. The blessed man finds his delight beyond the instruction and in the greater story of who God is. The alternative path here is clearly delineated here in the first verse even. He says, blessed, blessed is the man who walks what? Not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Notice, notice two things. There's a progression here, and, and there's, a, there's a term, wicked. Those who are not following God are referred to as wicked. Doesn't that sound strong? How many of you gone up to a person and said to them, hey, you're living a wicked life? Doesn't play well, does it? And yet it's intentionally implied here because the one who actually does not walk with God, who's chosen not to walk with God, not to stand with God, and actually sit in opposition to God is referred to as wicked. There's only two paths. There's the path of righteousness and the path of wickedness. And there's, there's a progression here. Even in the text itself, he says, the blessed man is not a person who walks in the way of the wicked. You don't walk in the way of the wicked. A righteous man does not stand with them in their independence of God. You don't stand with the wicked in independence of God, nor do you sit with them in a place of scoffing and, scoffing and making fun of God and mocking the very God who's given you life. That's not what the blessed man does. That's not what the righteous man does. There's a progression here of the wicked who first find themselves walking, then standing, and then sitting in opposition to God and saying, God, I, I want nothing to do with you. In fact, those who actually have chosen you are, are laughable. They're mockable. And if you drop down to Psalm 2, remember I told you, these, these two Psalms were always intended to be read together. They're linked together. The same language is used on the other side from God's perspective. Psalm 2 verse 4 says, he who sits in the heavens laughs, the Lord holds them in derision. God, God actually views the rejection of himself and the life that he's offered as foolishness. How could you reject this? You found life in all that I've created in other people and other things and positions and the things that you're enjoying in life. You've, you've, you've actually thought life is all about that which I've created and you've missed the creator. And what God is doing is not mocking Mocking the wicked like the wicked are mocking him. It, 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 in his sense, he's scoffing. He says there's derision here. He's laughing at it. It's laughable to him because they're missing the point. God has given his very life and in inviting them into a relationship with him, and, and they're finding life outside of him and rejecting him. And to this, God says, the one who sits permanently. God doesn't have a progression. He sits permanently in the space of being the creator. He's unfolding his story and as he's unfolding his story, he's moving it toward completion, and he's grieved at the foolishness of those who are convinced they found life outside of God. But not the one who's chosen to find his delight in the Lord and to meditate on his word day and night. This, this next part of, of the psalm should sound familiar. It's, it's erupted several times in the scriptures lately as we've read them. He says, he's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. He's like a tree planted by the water, being nourished and flourishing. This, this tree imagery ought to take us back to the garden. It, it ought to cause us to reflect back to, to Genesis, back to the garden, where this imagery of Eden erupts, where, the, where, where all was well, when all was well between man and God, when they walked with an unhindered reality between themselves and their maker, along the trees that God 
purposely planted there and the waters that nourish them. He says, the man who lives the blessed life, the man who's, who's living joyfully and in right relationship with me, it's like a tree planted by the waters. Our go-to theologian, Hamilton, for the book of Psalms, sums it up better than I can as well. He says, in Psalm 1-3, the picture of trees planted by streams of water yielding fruit in season suddenly evokes the trees Yahweh planted in the garden in Eden, in the east where the four rivers ran with good fruit growing. The poetic effects suggest that meditating on Torah, meditating on the law, mediates the presence of God so that those who walk with God in the word experience a renewal of what life would have been in Eden. Let me read that last part to you again. The poetic effects suggest that meditating on on the way of God, on, on the story of God, mediates the presence of God so that those who walk with God in the word experience a renewal of what life would have been like in Eden. I sat in that the other day, and it hit me like a ton of bricks. That's it. That, that's it. I, I think I've experienced it and am experiencing it. That, that space of Eden where everything's good, everything's well, everything is in the world as it's meant to be. In fact, the safest place for me and anyone in my life is when I'm, I'm in the Word, in the morning for me, doesn't have to be in the morning, but I'm in the morning, I'm in the word, I got a cup of coffee, my Bible open in front of my lap, and my heart surrendered, and my mind surrendered to God. That's the safest place. It's the only place I feel like all my insecurities are squashed. All, all my fears are dealt with. All the realities of the, of the life that I've, I've, I've actually had pressing in around me seem to find their place and their alignment in, in the person of Christ as he meets me in the word. And that's what he's saying here. A tree planted by the waters, it, it, it reflects back. It takes us back to a place that we, that we were wired to be in. It, it's Eden where, where life is good, where life is well, where there's nothing hindering my relationship with God. And it's become more and more a place of not just nourishment for me, but flourishing. And, and I gotta tell you, it's taken years and years and years, and I'm still tripping at doing this on most good weeks of, of being disciplined enough to driving myself into the word. It's interesting to me, and it's not just Mark's dirty secret, it's all of our dirty secret who followed, has been following Christ. It's interesting to me that the word of God that we know brings us life, the word of God we know that brings us the blessed life, that there's a resistance in it on most days for me to go there. And you don't have to nod your head because you should be. Yes, it's a resistance that we feel. In fact, in the early days of my walk with God, I literally had to write it into my appointment book because I wouldn't stand you up, but somehow I thought it was okay to miss that appointment with God. I had to force myself to do what didn't come naturally for me to do because I wanted to be the man that God's called me to be. And I gotta tell you, I wish I could say that box was checked and it's done. I'm still struggling with that today. And yet, what the scriptures are calling us to, he says, the blessed man, the blessed man finds the space Folks, this is why almost every week you hear us. I'm gonna sneak attack you right now. Usually you, you wait for it at the end. Oh, when he talks about live it out at the end, it's almost time for lunch. <laughs> so hold your appetites. That's why we call you every week to live it out. What is live it out? If you're new to Two Rivers, live it out. If you open your bulletin, it's on the right side and the inside of your bulletin. It's a discipleship guide. We want you to live it out. We want you to be in the word. We're in the word together. We want you to live it out together. Why? Because we think it's a great opportunity for us as two of us to make you do something we know you should do. Yes, but more than that, we believe from the scriptures it's a biblical mandate. Here in the text, blessed is the one who finds his delight and meditates on the word of God, the story of God, day in and day out. It, it's the stuff that's gonna actually move us to be the men and women we long to be. 
Yeah, it's, is, it, is it being in the word and praying every day? Perhaps, yes, absolutely. But it's not just being in the word and praying every day. It's being in the word and praying every day and then living it out throughout our day that we would be living out what we've prayed and read, that that would be a part of our lives. It would become more and more a part of who we are, that we would be thinking about and dwelling on the reality of who God is from the word implanted and embedded within us. Folks, that's what he's calling us to, and it takes grit on our part. You guys are gonna say, it's hard to do that. Yes, it is. Let me admit it. It's hard to do that. You gotta dig deep. But I promise you this, and some of you know this, when you dig deep and you try to move into a new discipline and a new rhythm, the Holy Spirit meets us. Is every day a glorious moment and the stars open up and Jesus speaks to you in a profound way? Absolutely not. But there's a consistency that we find in our relationship with Jesus as we engage in his word. He's given us the book we'd be a people of the book, and we'd be interacting with the person of the book, Christ himself. I gotta tell you, there's no shortcuts. It's the tension we live in, and we'll live in it until we see him face to face one day. Yes? It's the tension we live in. I wish, I wish I could tell you, here's the secret. Here's the switch. Go over here and flip it. Man, this discipline for you, it's gonna be awesome. If you just flip this switch, we're all good. Don't you wish you could do that and be done with it? Then work that way. Anything worth anything in life takes some grit and, and some engagement on our part, does it not? Lately, I've realized that my upper body strength is going. I was never muscular, so let's not pretend that there was something happening here that wasn't, right? I was never a muscular guy, but I've noticed in, in the decade now that I'm in that my upper body strength isn't as strong as it used to be. And it's bothered me for about a year or two. And so I've looked at a bunch of programs and actually two or three I've, I've, I've looked at and somebody ever actually sent me one last night. They must think I need it. But <laughs> I've looked at some programs and I, I realized if, if, I wanna, if I want some upper body strength to get some of, of what I've lost back and to maintain what maybe I could have, I, I realize what it's gonna take is a lot of work. It's gonna take some discipline. It's gonna take some grit. It's gonna take me giving up some things and doing some more things. And so for the last years, I've wrestled with this. You wanna know what I've done? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> it's too much work. You know, I, I don't wanna be a guy, I don't, the, the goal for me isn't to be a guy like Dave Nichols who has the fabric stretched across his <laughs> arms and his, his arms are screaming for actually some relief. Check it out, this is not what I'm looking for. <laughs> Yeah, laughable, because you see this, right? <laughs> that's not the goal. But the goal for me is to be in a space and a place that, that's healthy. And I realize for me, that's going to take some grit. That's going to take me digging in and diving in. It's going to take some serious discipline and months and months if I ever get there. And yet the reality for us is the same. Some of us long for a life a life that's at peace, the shalom peace that we read about, that we pray about, that we think about with Christ. And, and there's a part of us oftentimes in our life where we're not quite getting there because we haven't done the grit and the work that God's called us to do. It's not about your performance, but it's about you engaging in a relationship with Jesus and allowing the Holy Spirit to respond. So I don't know where you wanna be. I know this is not where I wanna be for all of eternity. I, I wanna grow in my walk with God. I pray that the same is true for you. I, I wanna be moved further down the pike in my relationship and my dependency on God and what God's doing in my life and the life of those around me. It's not gonna, be, it's not gonna come by me just hanging out and hoping that happens or, or, or just a wish and a prayer. It's gonna take for me and you to engage. And for those of you who've engaged and are here every weekend, let me just say I applaud you. 
Good on you for being here every weekend, for being in a space where you're allowing the word of God to be taught, where you're engaging in the word of God. That's awesome. You're on a spiritual journey, and it's exciting that we're all on a spiritual journey, and we're all in different places of that spiritual journey. And so no matter where you are, let me just say this, Psalm 1 is for you. Psalm 1 is for you that we'd be a people who would meditate on the word of God day and night, that there'd be something planted within us as we read God's word, that when things happen throughout our day, the word is what comes to mind. The Holy Spirit brings the word to mind and allows us to walk in a way that, that the Psalms reflect and that we'd be a people who are blessed, that we live the happy life that God's called us to, no matter what we face or find ourselves in on this side of eternity. And yet, that's the question for each and every one of us. And let me just... If I could pretend to be your coach for a second, let me just say this to you. You you got more in you. You got more in the tank. There's more that you can dig deep to pull up from. Let me encourage you. If if the weekend experience is is the totality of your time in the Word, folks, let's strap on our shoes. Let's run a little further. You got another mile in you. And for those of you who've run a long time, you think, okay, Mark, I'm doing that. I'm running. I'm doing it. I've I've been walking with God and, and, and being engaged in His Word for the long time, for the long haul. In fact, I'm in this thing. I, I'm a person who is, who is like engaged. I, I can't get enough knowledge and facts about who God is. And, and let me just say this. I want, I want to make a clear point. More knowledge and more facts about who God is isn't the goal. It's not the goal. It's exciting. It's wonderful. And I'm, I'm encouraging you to, to know more about who God is but if knowing more about who God is is all that there is, I know people right now who know God really well. In fact, I would even say there's a couple of people in my life right now who know God and know the word of God better than I do. And right now they're tanking their lives. They're tanking their lives. They've run off the rails in a profound way. And it grieves me. It's not about knowing more about God. It's knowledge that invokes the presence of God in every area of our lives. It's knowledge that invokes the presence of God in every area of our lives. The word live, the, the, the phrase live it out is so that we'd live it out. We'd experience God and the power of his word and the power of the Holy Spirit in us day in and day out. Folks, let's strap on our shoes. Let's run this thing, yes? Let's do it. Psalms 1 and 2, a microcosm of the gospel. Two choices laid out in Psalm 1 the way of those who find life in God and those who deny him. And then in Psalm 2, the one in whom the scriptures reveal Yahweh in the flesh. It's Jesus right back here in the middle of the Old Testament. As people, we want a wonderful life. I want that that sense when, when George Bailey comes home and all things are made right. We want that. All of us do. Christian and non-Christian alike. That's what Christmas kind of, kind of, emerges in a lot of us. There's this desire that that life should go well, that life should go really well. In fact, some of you, I'm not trashing you. I I don't fully get it, but some of you are hooked on a network, a network of Hallmark movies that really, it's the same thing. Every hour and a half, it's the same story over and over and over and over again, right? Right? Somebody leaves their hometown, they go off and start a whole life, and they're not complete, so they come back to their hometown and, and find somebody they used to be in a relationship with, and everything back there and where they came from isn't great anymore, but everything here is wonderful. There's this big tragedy. Somebody doesn't understand them. Some conflict takes place, and so they're getting ready. They're leaving for the airport, and somehow it all works together at the end, and the, the guy or the gal comes back, and they, they're actually reunited, and it feels so good, and life is great. The town is saved. They sell honey and make a million dollars. And you're laughing 
Because that's, that's the angst that, that, that really resides within all of us. It's the stuff that we long for. Shouldn't life be that way? Life should be happy. It is. It's just not found on the Hallmark Channel. <laughs> it's here in the Christmas song you never knew was a Christmas song. Here in Psalm 2, a Christmas song. Psalm 2. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against the anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. This psalm was used as a coronation song. It was sung at, at, at the coronation of kings. And though this song was used in its time, it clearly points to the future king, the anointed. We know who that is. Here's the Sunday school answer you're all gonna get right. Who's the anointed? It's it's Jesus. Jesus is the anointed. You can substitute Messiah, Christ, anointed. They're all synonymous. Anointed means Messiah. Anointed means Christ. And we know that the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one is Christ himself, Jesus. I love how the Bible interprets the Bible. The Old Testament, the New Testament, they all converge. It's the story of God all throughout. Though many authors, the New Testament authors, actually think about story. They're actually filling in by the power of the Holy Spirit the, the pieces of the story and put the pieces together for us. You don't need to flip there. I'll read it to you. You'll check it out more this week. But in Acts chapter 4, Luke says, Who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit? Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. Folks, you're going you're to discover again this week as you live it out with us that that anointed, Luke defines with, with no, with no um, argument at all, this is the person of Jesus. This is Christ himself. Right here spoken of in Psalm 2 is in fact Jesus. And then in Acts chapter 13, quoting from Psalm 2 directly, he says, and we bring you the good news that God promised to the fathers, this he's fulfilled to us, their children. By raising who? Jesus as also it's written in the second psalm, right there. As also it's written in the second psalm, where we're spending this weekend. You are my son. Today I've begotten you. Jesus is the good news. He's the promised son. God's first son, Adam, didn't do so well, blew it. God's next son, Israel, the nation of Israel, didn't do so well, they blew it. David, King David, didn't do so well, blew it. And yet God promised him, promised David that, that from his lineage, from his lineage, that God would come, the Son of God would come and reign and rule for all of eternity. Spoken to David in 2 Samuel, he says, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I'll raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Drop down to verse 16 in the same chapter. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established, what? Forever. A forever reigning. Who's going to reign forever? It's the anointed one. It's Jesus himself. Back to Psalm 2. God himself says, this is the voice, the voice of the Father himself speaks. And he says, as for me, I've set my king on Zion, my holy hill. He set up the anointed one. And the response here, in the voice of Christ himself, the anointed one, the Lord said to me, this should sound a little bit familiar to us as well, you are my son, today I've begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. This is the anointed one. 
This is Jesus who, who became man, lived, died, and was resurrected and is now before the Father interceding on our behalf and is going to return one day as, as man. He's coming back. Jesus said, I'm going to come back. And when I come back, there'll be no more decision of who's righteous and who's wicked. That's going to be final. That's going to be completed. In fact, there's, there's a time limit that's that's running out right now for those who've not chosen to follow Jesus, for those who've not surrendered to Christ himself. And what I love about the gospel, what I love about the gospel nestled here in Psalm 1 and 2 is it's never too late. You might think, I've trashed my life. You don't know what I've gone through. You don't know what I'm dealing with right now. You don't know what I've done. Right here in Psalm 2, those who've scoffed, who've, who've actually stood opposed to God and mocked God, the son himself is saying, it's not too late. There's, there's a space for you to turn back and to turn and find life in the son. And he says, it's an interesting turn of a phrase here. It's in Psalm 2, verse 12. He says, that it's not too late for you to kiss the son. To kiss the son. I, I sat on that. I thought, that's an odd turn of a phrase, to kiss the son. What does that mean? It means to surrender. There's an intimate surrender that's required here. It's not too late even for the kings who scoffed and mocked, those who have chosen a life apart from God. It's not too late for you to kiss the son, to turn and surrender, to turn to him and give your life to Christ. It's not an invitation to intellectually assent, but an invitation to fully and completely surrender to an all-out intimate and full surrender to Jesus the son. This song, this psalm too, ends where it started. In my Bible, in uh, Psalm 1-1, I circled the, the word blessed. I encourage you to do that. If you got a pen, circle the word blessed. I told you these psalms go together. They're, they're linked together. And in Psalm chapter 2, verse 12, it's blessed. There, there's a parenthesis here. Happy, joyful is the one. Blessed is the one who finds refuge in the Son. Blessed are all those who take refuge in him. Folks, this is the Christmas story. This is the gospel. This is the good news. This is why we have joy in this season of life because we've experienced the son. We've found refuge in Jesus. So the next step for us as people, as followers of Christ, let's find refuge in Jesus in, in the next three or four weeks. Don't let the hoopla of the holidays and be that person that's, well, it's not about the Grinch. It's not about peanuts. It's not about snow. Don't, don't be that person. Don't be that person. What would it look like for us to be people who take what, what the world thinks Christmas is and live with the joy that's beyond it? What would it look like for us to be a people who live with the, the blessed life, who find our life not only in the word of God, but in the one in whom he points to, Jesus himself, that really find our life there? People, are they get authenticity. They'll get that there's something different about us, that the way in which we live our lives would draw them to him. So folks, more than ever before, Let's be a people. Let's be committed to finding refuge and our refuge in Jesus. And let me just say this. This refuge in Christ, here's a turn. It's a happy and a joyful life, but it, but it comes at a cost. It comes at a price. This happy, joyful life to surrender and to kiss the Son. What did Jesus do to provide life for us? He went, he went by way of death, went to the cross to pay the sins that I couldn't pay for myself, you couldn't pay for you. He, he actually went to the cross, died for us, was resurrected, and is coming back to usher us all home. The, the way of surrender, the way of refuge is, is the way of death. There's a part of me that's got to die. I got to die to what I think and what I believe. I got to die to what I, my life, and give my life and, and trade it for the life of Christ. It, it comes through surrender. Refuge for us as Christians, we know this, came through surrender. 
And let me just say this to you who, who are in vicinity of my voice, here in this room, in the other rooms here on Harrison Lane campus, at Roan County, and, and down in Bearden, there, there are folks who are in earshot of my voice right now who've been dancing around Jesus for a long time. A long time. In fact, you've been around church even, you, you're even familiar with the scriptures, but you've never traded your life for his. You've never laid down, you've never surrendered your life. You've never actually kissed the son and surrendered your life and, and found the life that you're longing for, the wonderful life is found only in Jesus. Perfect, absolutely not. Wonderful, absolutely. Found in Christ and Christ. Let me just say to you folks, this is your day. This is your weekend. The rest of us are praying that you would choose to follow Jesus. I, I, I've been praying that God would corner you. He's not gonna force you to make a decision. He's not gonna make you choose, but he's gonna make himself so irresistible that you have no choice, hopefully, but to choose to follow Jesus, to trust in Jesus. I hope you'll do it. I hope you'll, you'll give your heart, you'll trade your life for his. The very yearning and longing you've been having and, and it's been irking you for a long time can be met only in the person of Jesus. That's the gospel. That's the good news. That's the celebratory month that we're moving into. We're being reminded that, that we've, we have a relationship with him because Christ came as a man to rescue and save us, and he's coming back to gather us home one day. So the next step for all of us, find our refuge. Find our refuge in Jesus. For those who've never trusted to trust, for the rest of us who've trusted, our refuge, tomorrow, the next day, it comes through surrender. What's the next space in your world, in your life, that God's going, I want more of you? Not because I want to control you, because I know controlling you is going to actually give you the life that your heart longs for. What's the area in your life that God's saying to you right now, speaking to you right now, I want this part of you. I want you to kiss the sun. I, I want you to find the life that I died to give you, the full life I've died to give you. Folks, may this Christmas, like never before, find us more joyful more happy, more excited, more blessed than ever before because we found and know the person of Jesus. If that's your heart's desire, would you loudly respond, amen. amen. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you that the story, the story of Jesus is laced from Genesis to Revelation. Thank you that right here in the middle of our Bible, in a couple of songs, you've made it so clear that there's a choice for all of us to make. God, we pray for those who've not yet made a choice to follow you that they would feel cornered by you in a positive way, that they'd know the very thing they've longed for and hoped for is only gonna be found in you. And for the rest of us, God, may you, may you cause us to embrace the sun and kiss the sun like never before, that the world would be put on notice because of the joy that we have, not just in this season, but the joy that we have in a relationship with you. It's in the matchless name of Jesus we pray, amen. Let's stand across all our venues and worship and sing to the Son himself.